Some families pay the ultimate price. Lauren Cole graduated with a 3.5 GPA, played intramural sports, and had a promising future that started to slip away when she became captive to her addiction. And in July 2020, her father witnessed a sight no parent should see. And then when I pulled him beside it, she was slumped over in the driver's seat. So I immediately called 911, jumped out of the truck, went over and got her, and whenever I picked her up, she had already passed. That's horrible. Now Michael Cole finding purpose in his tragedy, creating a beacon of hope for others. He founded an Albert Einstein said that time is not constant. It's relative to the observer. Is birth the beginning and death the end? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines time as an interval separating two points on a continuum. While we are here in our bodies, time is a useful measurement. Of course, I can say that I'm 48 years old. But it has only as much value as we can give it. Now, stay tuned for the amazing value that we're going to find in Lauren Renee Cole, who was 26 years old and fought her last fight on July 9th of 2020. The day after her passing, her parents set in motion a GoFundMe account that was organized by Chelsea Workman, who states that Lauren was and still is my best friend. This account had one purpose, which was to give Lauren's passing a purpose, value, and fulfill Lauren's desire to help other people that are struggling with mental health and or addiction and is on the road to recovery. And this is what that site says about Lauren. Everyone that knew Lauren knew there's never been anyone quite like her. She could light up any room, never fail to make anyone laugh, and always made sure to make her presence known. Lauren was such a beautiful soul who loved everyone and always found the good in every single person she met. She never hesitated to be someone's shoulder to cry on no matter how badly she was fighting her own demons. And oh, let's not forget how much she loved her best pal, her golden, Brody Lee. For most of you that do or don't know, Lauren has suffered from addiction and mental illness for several years. She has fought so many battles of her own, trying to pull herself out of the darkness. She worked as a social worker for years trying to help children have a better life. recently worked at Valley Health, trying to mentor others who suffer from addiction and mental illness as well. Lauren always wanted to help everyone else. Remember, 
that honoring and remembering someone will keep that person alive. This is Eric McCoy and the show, which was designed to bring hope to those suffering from the grips of substance abuse. As our listeners know, we've kind of taken a little new direction at this moment to bring voices to those that we have lost. A huge goal for this direction is twofold, and one kind of leads to the other. And and it brings forward the message that the individual was eventually going to tell us, but left too quickly for us to hear it. The voice is going to be heard by the family, which in turn will hopefully offer some comfort to them as nobody has to die in vain. The voice we are bringing forward isn't the only teacher because the family will also be our educators. Just as the last two episodes regarding Chelsea and Jared, we will have parents who had to bury their child. A parent should never have to bury their child. These families have been courageous to come forward because sadly, this isn't unique. I can't say that I understand this from a personal perspective, but I have worked with way too many families that have had this experience. I will mention what I have learned from my teachers, such as Jody Barber. It's not easy. To live is to honor the person you loved, carrying them with you every day smiling for them, walking for them, talking for them. It was September 16th, 1993, when Lauren Renee Cole entered the world. This little girl was very lucky because she had parents, Michael and Sherry Cole, who loved her very deeply. And not everybody has that. The love that she felt was known by her and probably all of their friends and family. But it wasn't until after July 9th, 2020, when the world saw how much her parents loved her. It was on that day, July 9th, 2020, when this beautiful young woman at the age of 26 passed away. From everything I could see, she died the same way that she lived. She put the needs of others ahead of her own. We needed for some to tell us that we have an epidemic and we have people out there that are poisoning our people. She showed us this. Lauren graduated from university high school in 2012. And I want to clarify that this is in Morgantown, West Virginia, because there are actually many university high schools with one, not too far from where I'm at in Irvine, California. She graduated from West Virginia University with a degree in social work. 
She was a year and a half into her master's in social work, and she worked as a social worker for Valley Mental Health. Everything about her studies and pursuits show a kind and generous heart. I unfortunately never had an opportunity to meet Lauren, but she has some great lessons and words for us. Many think that substance abusers are horrible, uneducated people out to destroy our society, and Lauren is telling us otherwise. I'm very honored to have on our show today Michael and Sherry Cole, the parents of Lauren, and I want to thank you guys for coming on here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. You know, as I believe you are aware, this show is all about Lauren and what she would tell us. I do think, and as I would kind of said, I do think the story of her passing is important in the message, but I wanted to start actually by asking about her personality. Who was she? She was probably one of the most amazing individuals you'd ever meet. Um, and you, you know, you hit it already. Uh, she definitely put the needs of others ahead of her own. And uh, it was not uncommon for her, you know, to give people things that maybe didn't have the things that she was entitled to received. Um, and even after she passed, uh, we had a girl that she went to school with at WVU call us and uh, tell us that, you know, after Christmas break, when they returned back to, to college, uh, she said she walked in the room and the girl commented on the coat that Lauren was wearing and said, you know, how pretty she looked in it. And uh, Lauren took it off and asked her to try it on. She tried it on. And Lauren said, it looks prettier on you and told her to keep it. Mm. Uh, she was a people pleaser. She wanted to make everybody happy. Yeah. And she growing up, she was, she was one of those individuals that you wanted to be around. Like you couldn't have a bad day around her. She never had a bad day. Mm. You know, it, it just so bubbly and outgoing that she had to put a smile on your face. Yeah. She's straight too. She would uh, very, um, like if I would never talked about anyone. And if I would say something, she'd put me in my place. Um, but she, uh, yeah. So, I mean, she, she again, didn't, didn't like any negative uh, aspects mm -hmm. of things and very uh, academically smart, extremely athletic, oh. you know, no matter what she tried, whether it be skiing, snowboarding, water skiing, cheerleading, tumbling, lacrosse. lacrosse, softball. It didn't matter. She could do it and do it really well. And uh, Now we're going to give a little tribute to her success at West Virginia University. The theme song for the state of West Virginia, Country Roads, has been performed at every home football pregame show since 1972. The song is also played after every home victory. And fans are encouraged to stay in the stands, sing along with the team. John Denver christened the new stadium when he performed Country Roads during the pregame festivities before the Mountaineers faced Cincinnati in the 1980 season opener. So here is John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. <laughs> Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah. 
years old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze, country roads, take me home to the place. just enjoyed she also enjoyed family time um you know we spent every we were very fortunate we spent every holiday together as a family um we celebrated all birthdays from even my nieces and nephews we all do it together as a family and then of course you know she loved to hunt and fish with my dad and i facebook can tell a lot about people which has helped me do some of these shows families will tell stories of children that may be exaggerated or mislead sometimes well Michael and Sherry tell the same story. It was about two and a half weeks after Father's Day that she passed in 2020. And here are some photos that show how much Michael loved her and how much love that Lauren had for her dad. These were photos posted on Lauren's Facebook on June 21st, 2020. Now we're going to give a little tribute to the father and daughter.
when she when did she start using? Well, what I can gather, and I have I've pondered it for years, is the spring of her junior year of high school. Was there anything that happened in particular or? Um, yeah. Peer pressure. Peer pressure happened. Boyfriend and peer pressure. First love. Mm. He broke up with her. Uh, it devastated her. Um, but more importantly, um, I'm kind of jumping ahead just a tad, but, you know, when she came to us uh, and told us that she needed help, we didn't know anything about it, that, you know, there was any issues whatsoever. And um, she didn't really blame anybody else because ultimately I said, you know, you're the one that made the decision. You're the one that made the choices. But again, after, after she passed, her boyfriend called the me. first, the ex-boyfriend, the first love. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, and I hadn't spoken to him in probably six years, maybe seven. And uh, he said, you know, I need to confess something. I need to take responsibility for Lauren's death. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to tell me that he knew that Lauren was deeply in love with him and would do anything for him. And he and one of Lauren's friends were experimenting on smoking pills. And Lauren was in the car with him. And the first two times she turned him down and said she wasn't going to do it. The third time they were in a car together and she turned him down. He told her that if you don't do this, don't ever call me again. You'll never see me again. Wow. Again, you know, he said, I knew she loved me deeply and would do it. And he said, when I, once I put that to her that way, she did it. Wow. That's what he called to say he took responsibility. And that was how many years before her death? Well, uh, that was what you, what you might not, what people I don't think get. She was a very high, that was 10 years before her death. Hmm. But I don't think what people realize, which I didn't realize, she was such a high-functioning addict Mm -hmm. that from then on, she was the captain of the lacrosse team her senior year. She was the head cheerleader. She was in WVU classes. She was in the paper almost every week for lacrosse games. She was the only one that scored 100 goals. And she was Mm -hmm. addicted to pills. Mm -hmm. And she was addicted to pills a year and a half before she asked for help. Hmm. We knew anything about before it. Before we knew anything about it. Yeah. You know, like you were saying that, that, you know, she started doing the pills and then, you know, she was high functioning and very successful. And the, and the sad part about it is, you know, a lot of the people, when we use the substances, we begin to feel that that is the stuff that's keeping us going. That is the stuff that's helping us maintain our confidence, even though, you know, it's, it's an illusion, but that's where that's where things get scary is um and again like i said i understand addiction and you know the confidence you feel or the things you know that you feel that's very empowering you feel is coming from the substance and that's one another reason why it's hard to get off that he had said that when they all were doing it they were doing roxy 30s is what they were called Mm -hmm. and um they would crush them up at first in marijuana and smoke them but at that time, 10 years ago, they were real pills. Mm-hmm. And she said, we, none of us knew that it wasn't anything really worse than marijuana. And then until they tried to stop right. and she couldn't stop. 
Yeah. What kind of education do you guys have out there in your schools for substance abuse? You guys have? Not much. No. Not uh, much? No, we've actually, you know, we've started to do a few things, but there's not um, an in-depth educational program. Yeah. I think that that is something that really needs to get into the schools, um, you know, because a lot, a lot of people are like, well, no, let's not do it because we'll have the parents do it. But a lot of times the parents don't know anything about it. No, we did not either. And uh, again, you know, immediately after Lauren passed, I wasn't in any position um, mentally to, you know, take on the educational process. But um, I'm very fortunate right now that I have a lot of support and, uh, you know, WVU themselves are willing to work with me to get the educational process out there we've had several meetings and uh we're going to eventually get it into the high schools and middle schools as well that's the stuff that when you look at you know her passing and and you know again giving that voice from her that's the stuff that makes it to where she doesn't die in vain you know she had this experience sadly and she passed away but you guys are taking that and, and just like jody barber you know and and taking it and and fighting and doing something to make her loss something that becomes valuable. And it has. Yeah. And I mean, she's already had an impact, um, you know, with a lot of individuals. And then, you know, as I shared with you before, we're also doing the uh, Lawrence Wish Addiction Triage Center that's going to have a a great impact and and hopefully save a lot of lives through that. You brought up, you know, we obviously talked about her sister a little bit before. We got this thing started, and obviously they were very, very close. And I know you had kind of mentioned that she um, is really having a hard time with this. And so, how was that experience for her? Um, well, she lost her best friend um, even during the pandemic when you know she couldn't be; they couldn't be around each other because you know my our other daughter. Um, had a small child and of course there was a lot of concern around COVID and things. Mm-hmm. Um, they still uh, FaceTimed each other each morning for breakfast. Mm-hmm. They were uh, out together. They yeah. FaceTimed each other. So they were extremely close and uh, you know, Chris is really, really struggling at this point uh, because again, not only did she lose her sister, but she lost her best friend. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I say it this way. Kristen could only tell one person every single thing in her head. And Lauren could too, except Lauren had that one huge secret. I'm not going to tell anybody. And did her sister know anything about it? She did only whenever um, relapses happened. Right. Um, But Lauren was real good at hiding it. Yeah. Um, She would become extremely busy and less available. You know, because she didn't want to get caught and didn't want to disappoint anyone. Um, you know, so she would still come out. You'd still see her five or six days a week, but maybe it not. It wouldn't be for three or four hours this time. It'd be for half an hour, and then she had to go. Um, so things like that. Hey, I am also very excited to have the sister of Lauren join us. Uh, and she, I believe, is going to offer us an opportunity to get to know Lauren, but maybe in a different way than her parents. Uh Parents will know their child from one perspective, but a sibling will usually see them in a slightly different light uh, or in a different way. From what I've learned about Lauren and the relationship she had with her sister, Kristen, 
this may be a little hard, I guess, maybe in, from my understanding, and I truly appreciate her doing this because we are here to, again, bring Lauren's voice alive. And one of the most important contributions we can make is to give a voice to those that who have been silenced, you know, to tell individual stories and hopefully help Kristen heal. See if we can do a little bit of that. Uh, I have also been told that Kristen is not only Lauren's sister, but her best friend. And so I want to thank you, Kristen, for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I wanted to get an idea of how you saw her. What, what did she mean to you? She was, um, um, she was my go-to, you know, um, my best friend. Um, we were just, we were really, really close. Um, we went to each other for absolutely everything. Um, yeah, I saw, I've seen a lot of pictures and you are definitely in a lot of pictures with her. Um, and you can tell that you guys were very close. Yeah. And you guys do look very similar. We do, but we were definitely different. I, I do want to ask this question. What did you know about her substance abuse? I knew what she let me know. Um, I feel like every time, you know, she would relapse, her biggest fear was me finding out. Hmm. So sometimes I, I didn't know. Um, she, she could make you think everything was okay. You yeah. know, um, I do know that she wanted to be clean more than anything, you know, and she fought so hard. Yeah. When I was with your parents and we were talking that Lauren's wish, I mean, it, that was something, you know, what they were saying is something that she wanted and wanted to help people, which is amazing. And, and it's even really cool that your parents are doing it. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you involved in it at all? I wish I could say yes. Um, I just haven't been able to get there yet. I'm hoping one day I will. So obviously, this has been very challenging. It's been two years now. Um, and uh, as, you know, as we can say, I mean, people grieve differently mm -hmm. in different ways. There's no time frame, you know, obviously on when people are supposed to get through it. No, I um, wish there was. Yeah. Do you go to any counseling or anything? Um, I did for the first um, two months, I think. Um, but then it just, it was too much. You know, um, I've always been the type to kind of uh, shut down. You know, I'll try to ignore it as much as I can which I know isn't the right thing to do, but yeah. I'm just, you know, I have, I have two kids. They can't see me fall apart, you know. We're human, you know. It's okay to, I think, let our kids know we're human too. And so, wait, they were, how, how old are your kids? Um, Jake is my oldest. He will be four in August. And um, Josh, he will be two at the end of the month, May okay. 22nd. So yeah. they may not really remember her. 
Actually, well, Josh, he was yeah. he was seven weeks, uh, so no. But um, Jake, he actually he's surprised me lately. Um, you know, there for a while he would say, I would ask him randomly, you know, do you remember your aunt Lauren? And he'd say, Yeah, she comes to visit me sometimes in my room at night. You know, she tells me good night, and you know that just kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. But here recently. You know, he says he wants to build a spaceship and go pick her up mm. and bring her back. I get on the rocket ship and go see who? God is empty rolling. And then what were we going to do? Um, tell them Gary wants it. And I think I'm going to say yeah, and then we can take them all the way to my house. Wow. Yeah. Which so he, obviously that just <laughs> tears so he, me. So yeah. he does remember her then? He, he would have been two, right? That's... He acts like, he, I mean, wow. he'll see pictures. So point. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he does. Yeah. So. So what did, uh, what kind of person was she? Oh my gosh. She was. Honestly, the most genuinely loyal, just, she had the biggest heart with only the best intentions, you know, um, she was hilarious. Oh my gosh, she can make you laugh, like. My friend. So ashamed how loud I'm chewing right now. Because that's my job, is to bitch everyone out for chewing super fucking loud and screaming at them at the top of my lungs like, stop fucking chewing. And I'm doing it right now. I mean, it's still my job. It's still a pet peeve. But I'm just doing it right now for once in my life. This burrito is so good. No matter what she said or did, it was just, it was funny. She was, I don't know. She was a, she was a character, that's for sure. And obviously she was beautiful. <laughs> but even more so her her soul was beautiful just every good quality you'd ever want just wrapped up into one mm. tiny little girl so one of those people we all wish we knew i i, I feel bad for people who didn't know her she was just <laughs> she was that special she really was yeah. yeah were you angry with her at all how did you how did you feel i mean obviously you were sad and I was. Um, so I, th I found out that, you know, she had relapsed, I think, one or two days before. 
And at first I was, I was angry because we'd have the conversation so many times. If, if you even think about doing this again, please just call me. Like you can live with me. Just, just come to me, call me. I will, I would I'd do anything. So I was, I was angry with her. Um, which made me mad whenever I found out because I was angry, you know. Yeah. I always said, uh, you know, I'm here for you no matter what. But being angry with her, it's it's like I really wasn't there, you know. Well, you couldn't have been if you didn't know, right? I mean, even the two days leading up, you know, I was, I wasn't the nicest, you know. I was just upset. Oh, so you didn't, and you, so you didn't know that she relapsed? Is it that? Found out two days before. Two days yeah. before. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. A lot of times when somebody passes away, the dynamics in the family change. Mm-hmm. What did you see within that, within your family? I saw, I mean, everyone came together, obviously, you know, to support one another. I know a lot of times this could just completely destroy a family. But at the same time, you didn't really just lose. I didn't just lose a sister. I lost everything, you know. She was, uh, it's like she was the one that just made everything. I don't know. She was, it's like she was the glue almost. I'd... What would your sister tell you today? Suck it up. <laughs> she would. You know, you are a mom, you are a wife, you know, put one foot in front of the other and do what you got to do, which, you know, I tell myself that it's just, it's not easy. No, no. Yeah. Everything that I've learned about your sister, you know, through your parents and I've done a bit of research, you know, even online and stuff. And I, that's exactly what I would say too. you know, that everything I've read, you know, about her is that mm-hmm. she would want you to be happy. Oh, yeah. She only wanted the best for me. It's like she cared. Sometimes it was like she cared about me being happy more than herself. You know? We learn through pain, right? We learn through suffering. We learn through, you know, horrific things. Horrible things have to happen. And it's, it's I wish we didn't have to learn that way. You know, pain brings teachings uh failures tell us this didn't work so let's try it this way and so she taught us a lot of stuff you know the dangers of going down the path that she went you know right the losses that happen the pain that it creates other creates their family members and so even in that context she went that direction to help us to learn things that we don't have to go through ourselves. None of us would know anything about all this stuff if people didn't go through these things. Right. If she wants you happy, give her what she wants. Yeah. And it sounds like she definitely did love you a lot. Yeah. We, um, we definitely said many times we thought we were each other's soulmates. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I can't even put into words what we meant to one another 
and I knew how much I meant to her and she knew how much she meant to me, you know. When's the last time you went out and had fun? Oh gosh, like real fun? I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's always there, you know. It's uh it's always there. Which is good. That's how we keep her alive. The way we keep them alive and the only way they'll ever stay alive is if we talk about them. And that's why I think it is beautiful that we're able to do something like this and this can stay on the internet forever, even long after we're gone. What do you think was the instigator that got her down, going down that path? Well, I know that at the time she was getting back together with a boyfriend who had started using. Um, and I believe he said something to her to make her do that if if she wanted to be with him. That yeah. is, that's fucked. It really is. Yeah. I mean, that's a yeah. sick, that's a sick guy. Yeah. Which, I mean, even finding out that he was using was a shock, you know, because... I mean, that wasn't the person I knew, you know. What's the age difference between you? Uh, Three years. And you're older. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're the the older sister. And And your sister loved so much that she said, "She just, I'll do whatever. Yeah, she had this overwhelming need to be loved and accepted. I've never seen anything like it. What would you tell her today? I don't know. I wish all of this could have turned out differently. I thought, I think every day, what could I have done more to help her? I should have just, it was was weird the day that she passed I had this overwhelming feeling like what can I do we need to we need to nip this in the butt right now we have got to do something like this is it you know it's like does she need to come live with me does she need to go away what can we do something has to be done and it wasn't an hour later and you do know I know you probably know from a common sense not a feeling standpoint that there's nothing you can do um you know i I, i'm obviously recovering you know drug user myself and i work in the field i work with people every day you know substance abuse issues and there's nothing that any of us can do Um, we can direct we can guide we can um, give tools and you know we can teach and stuff like that but unfortunately they have to do it themselves. They have to desire it, want to do it, and they have to do it themselves, you know? Yeah, um, that's, but, the, that's the hard part. Yeah. But you're, the way you feel is the most common feeling that everybody has. What could I have done different? And uh, nothing. You can sit there all day long and think about that, and it'll drive you absolutely insane. Yeah. And I'm sure it has. Yes. How are things with your marriage? I just want to ask that with, you know, obviously you're going through all of this and how how is your husband? Um, We actually, uh, I think everyone kind of knows. I don't talk about it. It's just, 
This is the first time I've mm. talked about it. So I just try to put it away, handle it at night whenever everyone's asleep, you know? What if you started talking about it? I know I need to. It's just, it's a lot. I know it's going to be a lot. A lot of times when we talk about things, it takes the power out of things, you know, and I'm not necessarily saying with a counselor or anything, but just with your family and, and the, and crying, it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we sort of work through things. We, you know, we're these emotional beings, which really sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be nice to turn it off. Yeah. And that sadly is why a lot of people use drugs, yep. you know, they don't want to feel Al-Anon, you heard Al-Anon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Al-Anon teaches about this idea of detachment. And detachment is, it's not where you, it's not where you stop loving the person, but it's about removing yourself from the decisions that other people make that are going to affect your life. It's not fair for her choices to destroy you. Um, that's not fair. And she wouldn't want that. No, she wouldn't. And I know that. I just, it goes back to saying, you know, like, I just can't describe how much it's like we are codependent in so many ways, you know? So, um, you know, losing her, I, I feel like I lost, you know, a lot of who I am. Mm-hmm. yeah you've lost a part of you but like i was saying just don't let it don't let it affect the rest of your life though you know you got kids you got a husband you need to go out and have fun <laughs> <laughs> um it's again the idea of my podcast high walk clean keep getting high I'm still clean though and that was kind of based on the premise because so many people come through rehab and they're like, oh, life's going to suck. Life's going to be boring. Like, no, it's not. It does not have to be. Right. You know, life can be fantastic. You can still get high because highness is not a property of drugs. It's a property of people. You know, so the, the highness that you feel is actually your own chemicals. All the drugs do is manipulate your own chemicals. And so let's find ways to do it without drugs. There's no side effects. There's yeah. no side effects. It's free and it's legal. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to gotta get some of that. <laughs> I do. I know. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. And I know this was hard. Yeah. I know that, and especially if you don't talk about it, and you now all of a sudden I'm saying, "Hey, let's talk about it." <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, maybe this was this was the first step in the right direction for me. I don't know. Doctor Kubler Ross, who was a psychiatrist that introduced the five stage grief model in her book on death and dying, Kubler Ross originally developed stages to describe the process patients with terminal illness go through as they come to terms with their own deaths but it was later applied to grieving friends and families as well who seem to undergo a very similar process. The stages have the acronym of DABDA, and instead of looking at them from the perspective of losing your own life, 
This is how it can look for grieving families such as Lauren's. Denial, where we deny the truth behind the death. This is where funerals can help break apart this stage by seeing the deceased individual. The next stage is angry, when we feel maybe they left us, or angry at ourselves because we believe we could have done more. Bargaining may appear as, if I could trade their life for mine. Depression can have statements such as, I miss my loved one. Why go on? And the final stage is where individuals embrace the mortality of a loved one or other tragic event. This typically comes with a calm, retrospective view for the individual and a stable condition of emotions. It may be a genuine statement, such as, it's going to be okay. Dr. Kubler-Ross had a really great statement that I always liked, and it's, the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. But I hope that Lauren's family can truly live with the absence of their daughter. And here's a tribute to the sisters. Their photos tell us a lot about their love for each other. Sunny days seem to hurt the most I wear the pain like a heavy coat I feel you everywhere I go I see your smile, I see your face I hear you laughing in the rain Still can't believe you're gone It ain't fair you died too young Like the story that hadn't just begun But death tore the pages all away God knows how I miss you All the hell that I've been through Just knowing no one could take your place Sometimes I wonder who you'd be today. Would you see the world? Would you chase your dreams? Settle down with a family? Wonder what would you name your babies Some days the sky's so blue I feel like I can talk to you And I know it might sound crazy It ain't fair you died too young Like a story that had just begun But death tore the pages all away Take your place Sometimes I wonder Who you'd be today 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 Today, today, 
Sunny days seem to hurt the most I wear the pain like a heavy coat The only thing that gives me hope Is I know I'll see you again someday that happen, happen for a reason. It's like saying in the Bible, happens for a reason, you gotta have faith. July 9th, 2020, right? So what happened on that date? So beginning of the week, so that was a Thursday, Sunday night uh, during one of her uh, CrossFit workouts uh, where you have a partner, the partner called her later that evening and said, hey, I just tested positive for COVID. So that meant that, you know, Lauren could not go to work. She could not go to Planet Fitness in the morning, and she couldn't go to CrossFit at night, and no friends, no family. So pretty much I had to isolate herself. And uh, so she called me Monday morning at work and told me, and I said, all right, well, you know, we'll try to find you a test. We'll get you tested. And, then, you know, as long as you're negative, you're good to go. Well, unfortunately, there weren't many tests at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't find any on Monday and I couldn't find any on Tuesday. And, you know, everybody kept saying tomorrow, tomorrow, Wednesday was the same thing. Couldn't find any anywhere. And then Thursday morning or midday, I actually found uh, a, a walk-in clinics that had them. You know, I started calling her and texting her to tell her that I found some tests that she could take and wasn't able, unable to reach her. And. Uh, oh, I called text several times and no answer. So I, I left work and uh, went to go find her. And um, um, I, I went to her apartment and she wasn't there. And I went to her friend's house and uh, her car was in the parking lot there. So, you know, initially, whenever I started to pull in and I saw her car, I was greatly relieved. And then uh, when I pulled in beside it, I saw her slumped over in the driver's seat and i immediately called 911 i think even before my truck stopped i called 911 and uh jumped out ran over and and got her and and took her out and tried to give her cpr but uh you know I, i wasn't successful i was too late and uh her car was still running she had called a friend uh, well, she had called her grandparents. It was their 60th wedding anniversary. And she called her friend. And we think that the last phone call was at 1145 that morning and told him she would be up in 15 minutes. And as much fat, there was no heroin that was sold to her. It was pure fentanyl. Mm. Could have four of her. And um, they said she died instantly. I did a whole show on, um, I called it, They Want You Dead. That was what I titled it. And it was on, um, I was talking about the different analogs of fentanyl too, with, you know, car fentanyl, which is 10,000 times more powerful than morphine. They're actually finding that in certain things. I mean, if you put that into anything, they want you dead. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's crazy. The one dealer, there were two. But the one dealer should have been in jail. He was 
He was arrested in 2019 with 18 bags of fentanyl. Wow. His bail was so low that, you know, they he paid paid it and then ran. But then he ran right back and he was selling it in Morgantown. And and then the boy that sold it to her was a high school friend in her N.A. meeting. And uh, and then he, of course, lied about it until the investigator. We had a great investigator Mm -hmm. until he caught them. And did people get arrested behind this or? It's all pending still. Wow. And what, two, year, two years in? Yeah. It's going a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Going on two. That's yeah. how. Wow. You know, obviously losing your child, you know, you're going to have a hole for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. The grieving process behind doing this. And I kind of wanted to put something out there for other families, you know, that may be going through this or are going through this same process. The goal, hopefully, at some point is if you look at um, those stages, you know, grief and loss, DABDA, right? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Obviously, the goal is ultimately to get to acceptance, hopefully. But obviously, it doesn't mean that that hole ever goes away, I don't think. No, I can't imagine it. No. And so, but let me ask you guys, um, what have you guys been doing to kind of work through this process? Well, I mean, from my perspective, uh, again, the triage center. So, you know, about three weeks before Lauren passed, she was out here and I was outside. She came out and was just kind of walking in the yard with me and said, hey, you know, can I talk to you about something? And I said, well, sure. And uh, she said that and she had relapsed now at this point. Okay. Um, She said, dad, there's so many people that are struggling with addiction that want and need help, but they don't have the finances or family to get it. Uh, do you think when you retire, we can do something, you know, to help? And I said, yeah, we can we'll definitely do something. So unfortunately, three weeks later, she relapsed and, uh, you know, we lost her. So we're going to go ahead and continue with what she wanted. And that's why it's called Lauren's Wish. Yeah. Uh, we're ready to open up Lauren's Wish Addiction Triage Center uh, here in Morgantown. And, uh once we get that open, uh, we're going to turn our attention into a Lawrence Wish long-term women's facility. But yeah. uh, we're going to do a six-month program and not the standard 18 or 30-day, which is not successful whatsoever. Uh, yeah. We're a very successful men's facility here in West Virginia called Jacob's Ladder. And I'm very fortunate that the uh, founder of Jacob's Ladder is on my board of Lawrence Wish. So yeah. we're going to his successes and uh, hopefully duplicate that with a women's facility. And then, so, you know, you do that in honor of Lauren, uh, because again, it's something that she wanted to do and she may not be physically here to do it with me, but I know she's guiding. Mm. And then. uh, What have I done? We held last year's uh, first annual Lawrence Wish golf, golf tournament. In last September to uh, fundraise. Uh, next Tuesday, we will have the first annual Lawrence Wish fashion show here at the Erickson Alumni Center at WVU. And then we'll have the second annual Lawrence Wish golf tournament this September. So we're fundraising to support our activities with the Triage Center, um, keeping keep them very, very busy. Yeah. These are supported by people. Like she had a grateful list. Like she was really working hard 
And these, she had friends that they came to us the same day and have never left. Yeah, I'm very fortunate that um, I have some very good friends that once, I don't know, two weeks after Lauren passed uh, and I decided to move forward with this, once I called them, they were immediately on board. There was no hesitation. But she had those friends too. And uh, yeah, they were also friends of hers. Mm. But, uh, again, jumped in and haven't left since. Yeah. And they, without them, this wouldn't be possible because where he has done all of the stuff, I haven't done a whole lot. I'm not, I haven't been, well, I tried to save her. Well, and that's, you know, as we know, we can't save anybody. Um, no. You know, when it's a disease, but it's a horrible disease because it makes them hate themselves. And it, because of the stigma, it puts them into hiding. Mm -hmm. So they use by themselves and they die by themselves. And it's just as a, as a parent um, or as a friend that loved her, family member that loved her, we just, we would have done anything to save her. Yeah, you're right. hundred percent. The stigma of substance abuse is killing people. It really is. Um, I mean, it's a big part to this because you know, you have to kind of go into hiding and, but I always, and I've said this before on a couple of shows, you know, and I've always said like, you know, if you're somebody out there that is struggling, I love you. Cause I doubt you hear that very much. <laughs> you know, Lauren is, is somebody that came from a fantastic family, came from a, with loving parents. This doesn't discriminate, you know, and it really shows that because so many people think that, oh, yeah, you know, all these people come from bad, abusive families and, you know, horrible, you know, environments, but that's not true, you know, and, uh, and that's another thing that she gets to show the world. And so it's, you know, something that people really need to be aware of. Because it's not the same as it was 20 or 30 years ago. The stuff out there today is extremely highly addictive. You could be the first time, the second time, and it alters the brain so quickly that may not have a chance to come you know, back. Um, we're involved in so many groups, like one pill can kill. And, and this is, I explain it, you know, if, if their child would have started when my child did back in 2012, mm-hmm. the chances, because you don't recreationally use an opiate, you know, it's not a, it's not a recreational drug. And um, they wouldn't have probably died 10 years ago. But if Lauren would have been 16 today, she'd be gone because mm-hmm. of the fake pills. And yeah. there are just, I look at them and, and, you know, and I asked Michael the other day, I said, you know, why her? And he said, why 105,000 plus? Yeah. I mean, we're seeing, you know, 13-year-olds overdosing, you know? Yes. I mean, well, yes. Because, well, because children are going to experiment. Yeah. Okay, you're not going to change that. They're going to experiment. But they should learn from mistakes, not die from them. Right. And go back to Nancy Reagan's motto, you know, just say no. But that whole concept, it fails to take into account the mind's desire to want to understand. My drug of choice was meth. Um, that's another drug that you really cannot use small amounts. 
And, you know, it, it nearly killed me. You know, I was, I'm six, four, I weighed 130 pounds. Um, And, you know, and and the scary part is too, that they're finding fentanyl in meth. They're finding fentanyl in coke. They're finding meth in marijuana. Okay. So there's no real, there's no pure drug out there today. Everything now contains fentanyl. And they do that because again, it's so highly addictive. And then people wonder, well, you know, why they're killing people. Well, in their mind, I believe it's a price of doing business. Mm-hmm. If yeah. customers and I lose two of them, the other eight are, are addicted now. Yeah. Okay. And see me. Yeah. I, you know, it's so cheap. Um, they make it in their basement. You're not dependent on rain or snow or sun or anything else. Okay. So there's no limit on how much you can make. And it's, it's just, cheap and it's yeah you try it it could be one time and you're hooked absolutely and you could try it and one time you're dead it well that's well, what that's i just, that's what i say you, some people don't get a second chance the dea uh seized enough fentanyl last year to kill everyone in the united yeah. states and mm-hmm. what they confiscate 42 percent of that contained a lethal dose of fentanyl mm-hmm. so it's almost like russian roulette with a bullet in every other chamber well, and it's a, you know, they call it that cho- chocolate chip cookie effect too, yeah. you know, where you can have one side of it that's not to get you high and the other side of it's going to kill you. Yeah. Well, you know, and- we put a billboard up in our town. Our town doesn't really like to talk about this subject too much. Mm-hmm. It says one pill, one time can kill. One, one pill, one line can kill. It's not just one pill. It's, it's cocaine. It's. You think you're getting heroin. You think you're getting, you know, meth. You think you're getting marijuana. Adderall. What the DEA agent told me, because um, after Lauren died, I called the DEA agent in West Virginia. And I said, why do we not have public service announcements out? Why? You know, we had no idea. But no, we didn't even know what it was. And she, so she said, you know, that's a great idea. I'm going to call around to your cities and your local cities. And they told them. They do not have the funds for those kind of announcements. Wow. So I said, okay. I said, I'll pay for them. I said, I'll pay for every announcement, every radio, every TV station. She said, that's very good. She said, that's very nice. She said, I'm going to give you one little warning. Now, this is a DEA agent. She said, you are taking the money away from the cartel, and the cartel is represented in your state. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous. Mm-hmm. It took us a year and a half to get the billboard up because of that statement, but we decided to do it anyways. Well, you can't have the knowledge and not give parents an opportunity to have it and hopefully stop somebody else from going through the same situation. But the kids need to care. That's the problem too. And that is where self-esteem comes in. You know, I don't think I've, I've literally, and I've said this on here a couple of times, but I've literally felt that, in junior high, let's get rid of the whole science and math and all kind of stuff. Why don't we actually teach them things that are going to help them be successful in life, loving themselves, caring about themselves, self-esteem, confidence. Yeah. And I think a lot of things to, you know, like you said, in middle school, the bullying, mm-hmm. the to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Lauren was always the popular kid mm-hmm. and she just fell in love with the wrong person. I miss her. Yeah, so if she were here today, (laughs) 
What would she tell us? She would tell me to keep doing what I was doing in her honor. Um, you know, and when I go to see her again, I want her to say good job. I don't want her to, you know, be disappointed that I wasted time and, you know, um, didn't turn something, didn't make her death mean something uh, that she would have wanted me to. And I she would go into high schools and tell people, uh, middle schools probably, and tell people do not do drugs. Hmm. Do not do drugs. So Sherry, yeah. what, would, what would she tell you? What would she say to you? But you have grandchildren. You have two other children. You get up off that couch, get out of bed, and start living again. You ready to do that? I'm trying. I'm working on it. Remember, remember this, right? You you still have another son. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian. you've got a daughter. You've got your husband. You've got other people to love too. You know, I do. And she would want that mm-hmm. because uh, she hated her being her addiction being everybody's problem. Mm-hmm. You know. She didn't want it to detract from anyone um, living their lives as they wanted to. She didn't want it to be the center of uh, chaos or commotion or anything else. Yeah. Uh, why? One of the reasons why she kept her distance or did a great job at hiding it. Um, yeah. I think you would have liked her. I mean, that's how everybody, um, they say, oh, how beautiful she was. And she was. She, would, But she was so much prettier on the inside. Yeah. That's and it's so it's interesting you say that because that you know, like when I'm young and I'm sure you know Mike you can kind of relate you know we're young it's all about physical beauty right outward oh, beauty oh yeah but you know as you get older <laughs> you start realizing how much less important that is you know wow. that, that internal beauty is what really matters and you know thing that didn't matter to her which like a lot of her friends I noticed was was stuff like. She didn't care about material. No. Yeah, and, we all, and we always bought her like the nice stuff and her yeah. wear some rope necklace or some something somebody made her. And yeah. when they asked me at the funeral home, you know, what would she want to be buried in? And I said, well, Lauren would want a tie dye shirt, <laughs> Birkenstocks, her hair in a pony and jean shorts. Nice. So she's she's the newer version of the hippies. Yeah, I, I was told her that she, she should have been born in the Woodstock. Era. She definitely yeah, that, was. And that was me too. I actually ran around with the Grateful Dead for a lot of years. Oh right. wow! Yeah, she, yeah. She, but no, you're right. She uh, internally she was uh, far more beautiful than she yeah. was. Uh, yeah. And you know, again, we we heard from so many people after the fact that you know things that she did for them to help them in their lives. Um, we had no idea. Yeah. And, you know, real quickly, uh, she actually kept a kid from following through on a, a planned suicide hmm. um, in high school. Uh, I think he was being bullied. And if I remember correctly, uh, he was sitting down on the floor in the hallway by himself. Uh, couldn't wait for the bell to ring so he could leave school and go kill himself. Hmm. Uh um, Lauren actually got down on the floor with him. 
And I think she just talked to him. But at any rate, um, he contacted us afterwards and shared that story with us and said that as soon as the bell rang, I was going to go kill myself. But I wow. of her, Lauren was tiny. She was like five, I, I always five said two. she was like five four. She was like a hundred and maybe 10, 15 pounds. And it was her senior year of high school. And her cousin, she was very close to her cousin, but he got bullied a lot. And this one boy bullied him. And he was a big football player. And Lauren just marched into that weight room and told that kid off like no other. Nice. And I know. I, I was just. She told him that if he ever looked at him, looked at him mean or said anything mean, mean to him again, that she was going to stomp his ass. <laughs> and she was tiny like this guy yeah. was huge you know yeah. and i thought but i'm not sure i would have tangled with her she was a tough girl yeah she yeah. was for like it was funny like her when her brother would run after the girls lauren Kristen would run and cry and lauren would stand there with her dukes up like come on and she was always the tiny one like she lauren was like really little she was a little, yeah. little yeah. sherry let me ask you a question do you ever go out and have fun why don't you answer that? No. What if you did? Why don't you go out and have fun? You can find it. You know, it's in there. It's within you. The thing I had said before that, you know, remember you've got a husband and you've got a, a daughter and you've got a son. I want to actually tell you that that was something I stole from Jody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, and I'm going to, I'm going to send you a copy of my book too. Okay. okay but um, yeah. she put a, I had her, um, when I was writing the book, I asked her to give me some statement because I did one chapter in there for the families and for mm -hmm. families that, you know, either have lost them from death or on the other side, just they don't know what's going on. They've got their kids running around the streets. Are they alive? Are they dead? They don't know. Mm -hmm. The only difference between those two is hope, right? Yeah. And, and so uh, Jody, Jody wrote this statement for me that I put in my book and I thought it was fantastic. And it was related to that. Right. She said basically that I have other people. I have my, I have a husband and I have, you know, uh, another son that needs me. I think what's hard for me is knowing she died so sad because mm -hmm. she had been through some pretty bad stuff with a boyfriend mm -hmm. and it hurt her terribly. Mm -hmm. And that was Lauren's coping skill. Yeah. And she unfortunately didn't get, you know, this kind of addiction. If you don't get long-term treatment, it's, it's not going to work. Part of the problem is that, you know, with a lot of places, treatment is based on insurance companies. We have a friend that uh, her son was doing great. Um, she's from West Virginia. And he was in, I believe, in Ohio. He was in a, a treatment center for in a sober lip six months. The insurance stopped. They literally threw him out on the street. And he really? called his mother and said, Mom, you need to get me in, into a hotel room so I can get into another place. He died that night. It showed me. And this is another thing. It showed the person going in the room. It showed him going in the room. It showed the drug dealer going in the room it showed the drug dealer leaving the room and then the police lost his phone lost all the evidence it's so unethical for a treatment program to do you know you have to do like 
a safe discharge. I mean, granted, okay, so there's a lot of, you know, um, for-profit treatment programs out there. And of course, you know, of course they need to make profit and mean to even be able to stay open. But on the flip side, you know, there has to be, you know, safety has to be number one. I mean, I, you know, when I do, um, I'm kind of actually, you know, again, I teach for a school that works to, you know, teaches people working to become substance abuse counselors, but I also, you know, again, do counseling on, on, with some outpatient stuff. And I even tell all the outpatient people that, you know, they'll get to a point to where they're like, their insurance isn't paying anymore. And I tell them, you know what, keep coming back. I don't care. I got, I got seats here, you know, that's because you care. And that's why Lauren's wish is not. Yeah. So even at Lauren's wish triage center, we're not going to charge. I don't care if you have insurance or not. Yeah. Explain what happens. Um, We're, we're, we're going to fill a void. So currently, you know, ours, unfortunately, aren't equipped to handle the overdoses uh, that are coming in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rate of pay and whatever the reasons are, but uh, once they're deemed medically stable, they're released right back out into the environment to put them there. And even if you're in there and you say, yes, I'm willing to go to long-term care, the probability or likelihood of that long-term care place having a bed readily available is almost zero. Mm. Um, you know, most recently I've had three calls within a week that, you know, it's five days away, seven days away, eight days away before a bed opens. Uh, what do you want them to do in the meantime? So the triage center is where what we're opening. They're going to come to us. Uh, we're going to keep them with counselors, social workers, peer recovery, and doctors, all trained in addiction. We'll keep them, work with them. And then once the bed opens up, we'll transport them there. We're going to keep of the environment uh and away from the temptations hopefully yeah yeah that's the crazy part i mean like you know when somebody wants treatment you got to be quick you know you can't wait you can't wait a day <laughs> or two you days can't or wait 48 days. hours because they run and yeah. uh, well no it's just that you know their brain tells them they need to get back to that euphoria and yeah um, so yeah, we want to get them out of that environment and again, put them in a safe environment, a non-judgmental safe environment. Uh, we'll give them three meals a day. And again, I don't care if you have insurance or not, you're going to stay with us and then we'll help you get to where you need to go. Everything I've read and I did a little research on her, you know, obviously I went on her Facebook and I was kind of uh-huh. looking over a lot of stuff and uh-huh. I went on the, uh, obituary site, um, uh-huh. you know, read a lot of the notes, you know, and stuff that you know, people had put on obviously the stuff you had sent. And um, yeah, she sounds like the type of person that we would all love. The person that's always wanting to help um, the kindness, the lovingness. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> you know, um, you know, I say everyone loved Lauren, except Lauren. Yeah. That's the, the flip side to this whole thing, because you lose yourself. You know, that's what it comes down to. My, the first line of my book, and again, I'm going to send this first line of my book is, I killed that motherfucker, was the first thought that came to me when I woke that morning. Because it was, and it was me. Boy, I wish Lauren was alive. She would love your book. <laughs> that first line, she would love that book. Yeah, I was somebody that went through my first rehab at 16, you know, and the last rehab that, um, well, in 2002, um, I was 28 years old mm-hmm. and that's when my life really spun out of control. I was looking at 15 years in prison, you know? And so I had a lot of years in and out, you know, of, of re- and so I understand her, um, mindset and I understand her perspective and probably understand where she was at, you know, in, in terms of your dislike for every, you know, thing and the, and the, 
the image that you portray outwardly, you know, that you put on this face. Oh, you know? she did. Yeah. And she was such a good actress. Like, mm-hmm. or that's how they, that's well, how they... no, not she, you know, I have a friend that has a son that's an addict and he just, you know, when he's using, he is just like out mm-hmm. of Lauren, she still could hold a job. Yeah still could go to school nobody would have ever and i remember the night she died and we were laying there and and i said Kristen, if her sister i said if we would not put out there in her obituary because we were honest would people believe it and she said oh my god yeah people would believe it she said that's how good lauren was and she said but we have to tell the truth because she would want that yeah. And then Ryan, our son, wrote the obituary. That's awesome. And that's what I keep saying. I, I, the more people that come out, the more we're going to realize that it's everywhere. We were never ashamed of her. We loved her. Yeah. It's in like one, every, one out of every 2.8 families has an association with it somehow. So, One of the worst parts about grief is the life they don't get to live. You live it for them. Well, you're helping us. Thank you for doing it for us. And hopefully it'll get to people and they'll understand it. I'm really glad you did this um, because we, she doesn't have to die in vain, you know? Um, and I think, you know, the, the, if you can show the world that you can go through this situation and then you can get back to living, that would be powerful too. Because sadly... It's everywhere. You know, so many families are dealing with this. I don't want her to to yell at me when I go to see her again. I want her to say, good job. I want to read you a poem that I put at the end of the chapter that I wrote in my book for the families. I want to tell you about my love for you as I hurt by the choices you've made. Nothing will ever come between, you see, except you heal and find joy in me. I remember the laughter that brought us together as I can't think of a better time. The joy that I had to watch you grow brings a smile that I can't destroy. You'll always be with me in my heart as a dove reminds me of you. You will live forever from the mark you made as you go upon your way. I stand for you and tell your story because you are set free. A gift to many that are suffering. It's the lessons you will gladly bring. I'm happy yet sad that our time is up. The door for us has shut. The window has opened to a brand new purpose, but it's you who has cleared the dust. I will take some time to process the loss, an emptiness that will always remain. I will fill the void with an untamed goal, that is to heal through your eternal soul. Thank you, and thank you, Lauren, for that precious gift of the time I spent with you. Thank you, sir. We appreciate honoring our wonderful child. She sounds fantastic. We miss her. Yeah. But it's time you live. You got to live too. And, and like, and like you said before, she would want that. Oh, I know she would want that. Yeah. She would call her dad and say, she would call her dad and say, get mom out of the house. <laughs> yeah. So don't disappoint her. Okay. Right. Thank you. Michael and Sherry. Not sure if you saw the message that Lauren left on October 22nd, 2014. This gave me an answer to God's reasoning for taking her. Many of us that have gone through the issues Lauren went through don't believe that they're going to live long lives and in fact are okay with it. Most of us that survived have questioned the reason that we survived. Lauren died peacefully 
and most likely a death that was quick and painless. She fell asleep and served her purpose by pushing for change. This is the message that she left. Someone once asked, if you could take it all back, would you? At the time, I didn't know. Now I do. I wouldn't take that terrible experience back for anything in the world. Too much light has come out of my darkness. I thank you, Lauren. And even though I never met you, I love you and appreciate the powerful message that you've given us. I thank you, Michael, for fulfilling her dream and working to help others. Sherry, we need you to take your pain that was offered to you by Lauren and helping other mothers and fathers learn to grieve and work through these things. Because, you know, the last thing we need is a society full of individuals that stop growing and can't help in this fight. Kristen, your child needs a healthy, happy, and confident person, and your husband needs a wife that can be present and not dragged down by the past. You can also be that individual who can help fulfill your sister's wishes. I want to tell all of you, thank you. I appreciate everything you have done and will be doing in the future. I feel honored to have met all of you. Now, we are just a few weeks out past Mother's Day, and here is the tribute to a mother that has been devastated by the loss of Lauren, but because of her love, I feel and I know that she is about to step out and do what Lauren wanted her to do. Be happy, take care of herself, so she can help others find their way in life. The roses aren't as pretty, the sun isn't quite as high. Birds don't sing as sweet of a lullaby The stars seem a little bit faded The clouds just a little more gray And it feels like things won't ever be the same Heaven got another angel tonight You've left this world behind Heaven got a little better he took you away from me I'm missing you
time now With the things that mean a little bit more I'm noticing the wonders of this world I love with a little more hope now I live with a little more peace Cause I understand how precious life can be Oh, heaven got another So I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Wall Clean. And as I always like to say, keep getting high, but let's do it clean. I'll see you soon.